Take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 starts with one of the most famous events in the, in the Gospels, and that was a feeding of thousands and thousands of people. So Jesus, knowing that his, his disciples had worked themselves into a frenzy, they worked from morning to night so much that they couldn't even eat. They just worked all the time. There was needs and needs and needs and needs and needs. And people by the tens of thousands came to them all the time. Jesus was in constant, constant uh, action because he came and he had compassion on people. And as they went away into where there, no one lived at all to try to get away and just calm down and regroup, the people followed them. And when he looked, there were 5,000 men plus women plus children all in a crowd on the hillside. And so he taught them all day long. And at evening, he asked his disciples what they should do with these people. Now, the disciples wanted to send them away. They were tired. They, they were cranky. They didn't like people anymore. They had dealt with too many of them. And Jesus said, give them something to eat. Well, they looked and they said, well, if, even if we spent every penny that we had, everything that we own, we couldn't give every one of these people one mouthful of bread. If you tried to feed, even if you went to, to Taco Bell, could you feed 20,000 people with something you've got in the bank right now? I couldn't. There's no way. I don't know what you, I mean, how much you would eat as long as you would eat something. I don't even think you could get a mouthful. And this, so they looked at their provisions, and they had one boy's lunch. That's all. They had one boy's lunch. And it is interesting, very interesting, that nowhere in the Gospels does it say that Jesus multiplied that lunch. He didn't take it and break. He broke it, and he thanked God for it. And that's all it says. In every Gospel, it says that he broke the bread, he broke the fish, and he thanked God for it. And then he distributed it, which means when God is asking you to do something, when God is asking you to do something, he will ask you something impossible, something that you cannot do beyond your abilities in every regard. And he will not take yours and multiply them. He will simply take whatever you have and make it adequate to whatever the need is. So if you're preaching the gospel, don't think that the Holy Spirit's going to come in some kind of a revy way and make you a dazzling speaker or make you smart. It's not going to happen. If your heart is right towards God, if you, are, if you are, have humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God and are doing something in obedience to what he has commanded you, you have every right to believe that he will do it. And he'll do it with your fumbling words, He'll do it with your lack of resources. He'll do it with whatever you have that you're offering him. He's capable of taking it, thanking God for it, breaking it. And there's the one that I, I don't think I, I would have to be broken. If I'm going to be used of God, then I have to be broken like that bread. And whatever I am is what's distributed. And God is capable of taking whatever you give him and making it everything that's required. And he fed 20,000 people to the point where they were completely satisfied. And when they gathered up the leftovers, there were 12 baskets of leftovers for one boy's lunch. 
Now that is beyond believable. So he was teaching his disciples. We see that he is, that the disciples are in Jesus' school and that they had been with him a year and it was time for their first exam. He wanted to know what they knew about him because they watched him do miracles day after day, hour after hour. It was nothing for them to look and he did something that nobody else could do. But it is very possible to look into the very actions of God and not see God. See power, see something important, see something dazzling, see something unusual, see something that you're interested in, and not, and you miss the main point. So later, he compels them to get into the boat. And he wants to, and he, he tells him to go to Capernaum, which is, is on the north part of the lake. They're at the west part of the lake right now. So the Lake of Galilee, which is a large lake, larger than Somersville. It's a large, big, circular lake. And it would take a long time to walk around it, and it would take a long time to sail across it. And he put them in a boat, and he told them to go to Capernaum, and he sent the crowds away, and he went up into the hill to pray. He did this, the Bible says, because the crowd saw in him, when he did that miracle, they saw something that alerted them to this might be the Messiah. When you think that that's what you want them to think, that God wants them to think that he's the Messiah, they want him to follow Jesus, you would imagine that Jesus would be like, yeah, you're right, I am the Messiah. But instead, the Bible said they would want to make him king by force. They were going to force him to be king because they saw something in him that, that they wanted on their team. They wanted him to be the, the star player, and they were willing to give him the contract of a lifetime for him to do what they needed him to do. They, they saw him as capable of deposing Rome. So they wanted to make him king. So Jesus is sent, instead runs away and prays all night. He sends the crowds away and the disciples are on the lake, and all night he prays. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, the disciples are rowing against the wind, and he walks out to them on the lake. They immediately are freaked out. They're panicked. It's a ghost. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. What do we do? Get away from it. And he comes right up to it. And the thing is that the crowds only saw the first part of that miracle. He's teaching his disciples and what he's teaching his disciples, that he is God. It's not that you're seeing amazing things. Because you see enough amazing things, it becomes normal. Okay? I love disaster movies. I love when Paris completely falls into the ground. I love when the Eiffel Tower falls off. I love when the Statue of Liberty sticks herself with, the, with her, her wand or whatever it is. I love when the White House crashes to the ground. I love that kind of stuff. I will watch a movie. My kids laugh at me because I'll watch a movie and I don't care a thing about the dialogue. All I want to see is the crashes. So I don't care about the love story. I don't care about the reconciled mother and the, the, the ex-husband. I couldn't care less about any of that. I just want to see everything destroyed. Because once you start getting that into your head, you're like, I love it, I love it, I love it. It becomes nothing for you to see everything you know in the world crashed over and the water coming over the top and it's all fine at the end because these people saw Jesus day after day doing miracles and it became normal. Now a miracle by definition is not normal, but they were right there under the hand of God himself 
not recognizing that it was God that they were working with. They simply thought, okay, it's a new normal. 10,000 people are here. We've got to go do this. Da, 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 da. You there, there, there. Everybody's just running in circles like, like ants. And they were missing the whole point. The book of Mark said that they, they were petrified because in the boat, because they did not, they missed the miracle of the loaves. The lesson that Jesus was teaching them when he took one boy's lunch and simply distributed it until it met everybody's needs was that he could do anything. It wasn't that this is something that, okay, work under the context of this miracle. No, he could do anything. So, in, so the crowds are now not watching him, and he walks on the water out to the boat. And the, and the disciples are now seeing something about Jesus they didn't see when he was taking bread and simply just keeping on giving and giving and giving and giving and giving. They were, they were in part two of Jesus' school, that lesson that lasted two parts. And then something amazing happens. Matthew says, Peter looks out at Jesus, who's, walking, who's standing on the waves, and said, Lord, if it's you, command that I come out to you. Now, that's impressive to me. I'm impressed with that. You command that I do something impossible. And Peter steps out of the boat and walks to Jesus. And when they both come back and get in the boat, the winds calm down. And this is what the lesson was. The disciples then don't even look at Peter. Peter just walked on water. No one even said, boy." They immediately simply dropped to their knees and said, Thou of a truth are God. Something happened in them that did not happen in the crowd. Something happened as they realized uh, it's God that I'm looking at. It's God there on the cross. How that even works, I don't understand. But it's God that we're looking at. It's God our maker. It's a God who can do anything. So whatever he's doing, he's in control. It changed their life. It completely changed their life. It, didn't just, it wasn't just the new context that they were living under. It was something new in them. So Jesus then had sent them to Capernaum. So he's in the boat with them, and they get to Capernaum. Jesus is now, we're going to see from this passage. Now, in verse 59 of 6, we read, um, um, we're going to read up to, from 25 to 44 just today. But in verse 59, it says that this is in the synagogue. Jesus is now in a synagogue preaching, in the synagogue. And what we're going to see in John chapter 6 the second part of six is that these people who had been fed the day before all come looking for him. They seek him. But we're going to see that at the end of chapter six, there's not one of them that are disciples of Jesus. Not one. Thousands and thousands of people want to make him, who think he's the Messiah, want to make him king. But not one of them are willing to follow him when he shares the gospel with them because they're not interested in the gospel. They don't want what Jesus has to offer. Jesus doesn't want anyone that doesn't want what he has to offer. If you want something else, Jesus is fine with just letting you sit there. He is fine. He wants to give you the gospel because the gospel is everything. And it's the most important thing to God because the gospel is that Jesus Christ is so amazing that he gave himself for people. And if any person could wake up from the dead in such a way that they could see what that is, 
and trust in him, God said, for your sake, Jesus, I will, I will save any person, no matter what their past, no matter what they are, no matter what their character, be a slave ship owner or not. Anybody that puts their trust in you fully, I will save for your sake. That's the gospel. And that's what Jesus preaches to these people who have no interest whatsoever in it. And they will not follow him. And they, not one of these people will follow him at the end. So they find him. They find him because they wake up and they're hungry again. And they want breakfast. And they want going to find Jesus. Now, that's insulting. So let's see why. Because it actually has a lot to do with that very long chapter verse from, from Exodus 16 that you read. I made you read the whole thing. That's why we asked the guests to do it, because none of us wanted to do that. All right? So let's read from John chapter 6. This is starting in verse 25, and we'll go through 44. This is God's word. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, for the meat, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he has sent. They therefore said unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see thee and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say to you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives his life into the world. And then they say unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus saith unto him, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that you have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all that he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up the last day. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except that the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Wow. John chapter 6 is problematic for a lot of Christians. I'm just going to say that. There's a lot of people that, that, that want to see the same things but d disagree on exactly how this works. 
I'm just going to go with the words, okay? That's all I can do. I'm just going to go with the words. I see, though, from 59, verse 59, if you look, glance at it, if you're holding your Bible, says that he was in the synagogue at Capernaum, that all of this is while he was teaching. He was teaching at the synagogue when they found him, when they found him and asked him why he was there. Now, really, they get up from sleeping, uh, camping, and Jesus isn't there, and they find boats, and a big crowd gets in the boats and it goes all the way across the lake to find him what? Because they still haven't eaten breakfast? Is it still about breakfast? It can't be about breakfast. There must be something to eat between where they were and where they are. There ha it's not about breakfast, but it's a lot about breakfast. These people wanted Jesus to do the same thing today that he did yesterday. Now, the question is why? Why would that be so important to them? If you remember from John chapter 1, he sets up the book of John. He sets all the themes that he's going to talk about. And then in, his, in all the different chapters and the counts, as we look at people's interviews, as, as we see his, the seven miracles that John chose, as we look and John is trying to convince us that this is God Almighty that we're looking at, this man is our God. That's, that's John's purpose. He starts off with all that he says, and then he just shows uh, everything in the end, what he said at the beginning. Verse 4 says, Jesus, in him was life, and that that life was the light of men, that he gives life, that that is his job, his office as Messiah, as God's, as God's messenger, but more than messenger. It's not that he's just giving a message like a prophet. He is God's message. He's the message. He's the one sent. We see that he's the one sent. And last week we looked at when they said, what do we do to do the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe. That, not that believing is a work. You don't get paid for that. It's not that you get a paycheck. If you believe, God will give you heaven as your pay. God's work is that I believe and that, he's, that I'm rewarded for Jesus' sake. That's his will. And, and it's said four times in this one passage, four times, that he is, he's saying that's his will, he's, that I will not just raise you up, but that everything that he gave me, every person that he gives me will come to me. And every person that comes to me, I'll never cast out. Now, the, the, the depths of election, what do you, does that mean? How do, you even, how do you even conceive that? I don't conceive it at all. I just ask myself, do I want Jesus Christ? That is, do I want him? Is he lovely? Do I desire him? Do I want to be holy? Am I holy? No. Do I want to be holy? Yes. If the answer is yes, then I want him. If I want him, he will never cast me out. You come to him as the way he offers himself to you, not in any other way. I tried to make that as clear as I could last week. It's, in no other way will he accept you. If you try to make him king, he's already king. You can't come and force him to do anything. He offers himself as savior only to you. And if you come in that office and you seek him for what he's offered, he will in no wise cast you out. You can have total confidence. Those in this room that worry about their salvation, though they have trusted and trusted and retrusted and trusted and trusted, I'm sorry, that's, a, that's something in your personality. 
You must preach the gospel that Jesus will in no wise cast you out. Anyone that comes to him, he will in no wise cast him out. Because Jesus sees it as a love gift from God. These people, these bumbleheads, these people who don't have quality of themselves, we don't add value to Jesus' kingdom by being in it. He simply sees us as a love gift from, from his Father, and he responds with love. And it was a giving love. It was a sacrificial love. It took him to the cross. It was real love. And it's real work that he does in our hearts. And he who spared not his son, would he not also with him likewise give us all things? Would God spare the bag if you buy the diamond? He's not going to spare the bag. He's going to give you everything that you need. All of your needs will be met all of your life. All my life, you've been faithful. So as you look back, to, to what God is doing here. You see that these people are coming, not in, as office of Savior, but they want something different. And you have to also realize that he's preaching. This is an interrupted sermon, all of this part of chapter 6. I don't even know who would do that. Who would interrupt? I've got kids at the school. My goodness, my goodness, to, to, it, they have no idea what I think when they say things, because I, you know, I won't say anything. I have, they have no idea that I, I just go, what kind of a person would have just said what you say? How could you have been raised? In what way were you raised so that you think that's okay, that that's totally acceptable for you to talk to your teacher that way? And they have absolutely no clue. But these people came up to God himself, who was preaching in the synagogue and had no respect for the for the word of God that he was expositing, no respect for his office as the speaker, no, no respect for the Messiah that they thought he was, but they wanted to interject their will into his situation and interrupted him. I, I just think, it's, I just kind of get the cold on the back of my neck. Who would do it? Who would do it? I, under certain circumstances, I wouldn't open my mouth. Like, I understand where my place is, but they didn't. And they came and they interrupted him. And they said, when did you get here? As though we got on boats and you, you weren't on a boat and we should have beat you here. Like, who cares? What does that have anything to do? Why, why even say it? So, so you have to realize that they wanted something that he wasn't willing to give them. And he wanted something for them that they weren't willing to take. And he said, I tell you the truth. You're just wanting dinner. You're wanting breakfast. You're wanting meat that is perishing. Now, I want to take you somewhere. I normally don't do anything at all from the, that's not in the Bible, but I have to tell you that the Jews of this time were taught by the rabbis that one of the things that you would look for when you saw the Messiah is that the same things that happened old, old in the Old Testament would happen again. And there's still teachers that teach this that as we tend towards the end times, the things that happened early, early in the Bible, you look in Exodus, those things will start happening again. They took Ecclesiastes as their text. Ecclesiastes, you know, there's a time for everything. And they take uh, verse 9, chapter 1, the thing that has been is the thing that shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. Now, I think they completely took it out of context. But what they're saying is when the Messiah comes, you can expect 
The same things you saw in the miracles in Egypt, you'll see them here. So when they looked up and they saw him take bread and they broke that he broke that roll and he kept breaking it and he kept breaking it and he kept breaking it and he broke it a hundred thousand times and he just kept giving and it never ran out. They woke up. They're not stupid. They did understand some things. Not all things were lost on them. They thought he was the Messiah. They were going to make him their king because they were like, this is what Moses did. This is just what most, this is manna. He's giving manna. He's give the bread simply just, the, the dew simply dried on the grass. And they went out and they said, what is it? And the word, what is it, is manna. Manna. What is it? But it was delicious. It tasted like honey melting on your tongue and coriander seed. It was like a cookie. But yet you could, it was delicious and it met their needs. For 40 years. Now it's the 40 years part that they were coming to Jesus and interrupting a sermon for. It's says 40 years. Because they say something amazing. Okay? This is in verse 30. This is back in John 6. This is verse 30. They said therefore to him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? Jesus had just said, God, the work of God is this, that you believe on the one whom he has sent. That was the last thing out of Jesus' mouth. And the next thing in verse 30 is they said, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What work doest thou? Our fathers did eat man in the desert, as is written, he gave them bread for heaven to eat. Now, I had to actually just, I laughed. When I studied this, I realized, he just fed 5,000 people with one boy's lunch. Is that not a sign? And the first thing out of their mouth is, what sign are you going to show us that we might believe? If the work of God is that we believe in you, you're saying you're the one that's sent of God and we want us to believe in you, what are you going to do that we might believe you? Now, they're not stupid. Yo, I can't tell them, I can't say, oh, well, they were stupid. This is just 20,000 stupid people. Now, I've met 20,000 stupid people, but I don't think they were all in the same bus. They all came, and they, uh, they were people who knew what they were doing. They understood. And they were, they were saying, okay, you fed 5,000 in one day. Moses fed a million people every day, three times, a, you know, every day for 40 years. Do it again. Do it again. If you can do it one more time, then I'll know you're the Messiah. Do it one more time, and I know that you're the one we've been looking for. Now, Jesus is not impressed with that. Because that is their doing their thing. Did you see how many times that the will of my father was mentioned? Over and over and over. The will of my father. It is not what you want. It's not what you're trying to get out of me. It's not your manipulation of God. It's what God is intending. And what God is intending is that anyone that God gives Jesus, he will accept. And anyone that's accepted will be raised on the last day. There's a resurrection for that person. And these people are, are basically in your face. They're interrupting the word of God being preached so that they can do their own will. And Jesus is saying, the will of my father is not this. This is not the will. Do it again. Do it one more time. That, when I read this the first time, especially in the King James, uh, the King James is one of the most pretty, oh my goodness, so pretty, but if you're not careful, this, these pretty words will not convey the same English meaning. Like, you won't get the same slap that a different word will use. They say, um, evermore, where are we? 
Is this 32? 33, no, 34. Look at 34. You should have your Bibles out, people. Then they say unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Now, when you read that in that beautiful evermore, first, nobody says evermore except in fairy tales. Evermore is so beautiful, it just falls off your... It's that idea of, oh, Jesus, I always want you to be my Jesus. But that's not what they were saying. They were saying, do it over and over and over and over again. Do it evermore. Do it evermore. Because if you're the Messiah, the rabbi said that you will do the same things that Moses did. So Jesus had to correct them. First of all, he had to correct their theology. Okay? He, first of all, went through. Now, remember, the backdrop of 16 of, of Exodus is in murmurings. Whoever read, um, thank you for reading, the murmuring, murmuring, bur- that's a funny word too, murmuring, murmuring, murmuring. The murmuring is this idea that you're talking against God with some kind of a, a will to judge God. As though you should open your mouth and have something to say as though you're criticizing God. That puts you in a place to where you are correcting, smacking God, saying, no, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it bad. That you're not providing the way we need to be provided for. What you're doing is you're raising yourself up above God and telling God what God must do to serve you better. And that is not what God was. It's interesting. God didn't destroy them. But instead, in his mercy, got them all the way. But it's interesting, too, that when you get to Hebrews chapter 4, not one of the people that were hearing this got into the promised land because they had no faith. They weren't mixing with faith what that they needed. The faith was required. All It said all died in the, in the desert. Everyone in that generation died. Their children got taken to the promised land. But everyone in that generation, because they, they heard it preached, this is the writer of Hebrews, they heard it preached, but they did not mix what they heard with faith in God. So for that reason, they fell in the, in the desert. This generation who got the manna, the generation who ate manna day after day, got used to a miracle, got used to the fact of, okay, get up next day and look. And then there's the doofus who forgets that it's Saturday, you know, and it doesn't that it doesn't rain on Saturdays, right? There's no manna. You have to prepare the day before the Sabbath and get it all ready so that you don't you don't go in on the Sabbath because it's not there. It's a double portion. So the guy was like, gets out of his tent and was like, where is it? I don't see it because he doesn't even know. It's that idea that you're so used to God working that you don't even realize that it's a miracle that God is doing it. He's providing for you. And so they said, our fathers had manna in the desert. What they were saying is you do it. You make the same thing you did yesterday over and over and over again so that we can believe you because we need a Messiah. We need somebody to revolt against our oppressing power. That's what it was. It's not what Jesus did. Jesus preaches the gospel. Did you see the gospel? The gospel was in where? There's, it's actually two or three times beautiful. It just shines. It just shines off the page. When you get to the gospel, it's like air coming out of the vent at you. It's like, it's sweet. It's, it's what you need. If you are a Christian, this is what feeds you. If you are unsaved, this is what will save you. This is what will crush you. This is the rock that will, you will either trip over, or but if it falls on you, it will grind you to powder. The gospel said, every, this is verse 40, and this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone that seeth the Son, that idea of not just look at, 
but seeth him, understands, wants him, desires him, sees him as valuable, trips over the treasure in the field and goes, that's a treasure. I need this field. This is worth everything. I, what it does take, whatever I have to trade for this field, I want it now. That is that to seeth the son, seeth with the eyes to see, and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up the last day. That's the gospel. He preaches the gospel clearer than we've seen it. We saw, we saw it th that close in John 3. You must be born again. But this is easier. This is anyone who trusts the Son will be raised from the dead. That's the gospel. That it's God's power through Jesus, the love for Jesus that will benefit anyone who trusts in him. That is the simple, beautiful gospel. And these people wanted nothing of that. None of it. They wanted none of that. That's not what you want. That doesn't, that doesn't line up with my agenda at all. It was obvious that they didn't want it. And he wasn't flustered. Jesus wasn't flustered at all. So he gives them one of the first of the seven I am's. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. It's Jesus, the Messiah, who gives life. I am the life. I'm the provision. I'm the manna. I'm the true manna sent down from heaven. And he corrects, Moses didn't give you anything. My father gave you, gave you what you had. And it was bread that was simply came out of the air and dried on the grass. And you picked it up and ate it for 40 years. I am the true bread that comes down from heaven. Anybody that, that takes me, that feeds on me. Now you're going to see next week, oh my goodness. You want the hardest verse in the New Testament? Come next week. Drink my blood and eat my flesh if you want anything to do with me. And people are like, oh, he's crazy. Let's run. What are we talking about here? I had no idea. Now, think about it. It's almost like Jesus wanted to be misunderstood. That's the hardest way he could possibly say the gospel. Hardest is you, scariest, seemingly weirdest possible way to say the gospel. What he was saying is, I'm not worried about you coming to me. Anybody that my father gives me, I will accept. I'm not, my mission is not based upon you and your 10,000 buddies who want me to do something for you. I'm not, that's not my mission. My mission is that I give my life as a ransom for many and whoever looks upon me and sees me, sees me with eyes to believe what, I've, what the God had done for you, not, not in any way uh, trying to make me do something, but coming to me the way I've offered is, I will never cast away, and I will raise you up on the last day. It's interesting, it's interesting when, when, they, when they go away, they his words are revealing that they're un the unbelievers. He even says, you still don't believe. Like, I've told you, but you don't believe. You're, you're proving to yourself that, you're, that you still have nothing to say. When, when he quickens us, remember Ephesians? He, we're dead in trespasses, and he quickens us. He makes us alive, and once we're alive, now we can cry out to him. Now we know we've offended God. Now we know that there's a provided Savior for us, that we can do it. He gives you life so that you can know what he's done for you. And then the people who all know what God has done, but they don't see it. They don't have eyes to see. They don't understand at all. And they have a complete different agenda. They go away. 
They go away disappointed. And then at the end, and this is two weeks from now, he looks at his own disciples and said, hmm, you leaving too? But see, something happened in those disciples. Once that Jesus and Peter stepped back into that boat, they couldn't unlearn it. Once you learn something in Jesus' school, you don't forget it. You don't unlearn it. You can lose your mind in Alzheimer's and think your daughter is your mother and still know your God because you can't unlearn it. So they said, where are we going to go? You're God. I'll stay with you no matter how hard your lessons are. That's a preview. Is this a blessing to you? The blessing is that Jesus preaches the gospel to you, and Jesus secures the gospel for you, and Jesus helps you to believe, and Jesus walks with you every step of the way. I'm happy. Are you happy? Yes. Amen.